Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and here we go as we continue celebrating Epilepsy Month. As, as all of you know, and I want to thank all of you, by the way, such great listeners and such a wonderful following. Uh, but you all know that my heart and soul is into employment, but really it all started with a seizure many years ago, so I am a person with epilepsy, and that is why celebrating this month is so important to me. And I have no words to tell you how excited I have been knowing that I have as my guest today a wonderful human being. Not only is this man a brilliant doctor, but he is truly a great leader for all of us with disabilities, especially with epilepsy, because he is, as I say, the real deal. He is the Professor of Neurology and Associate Director of Clinical Research, Division for Research and Education in Complementary and Integrative Medical Therapies at, guess where, Harvard Medical School. He also is in charge and director of the Department of Neurology and director of research subject safety at Beth Israel, you know, the medical center in Boston we've talked about before. He is the director of neurotechnology for the Center for the Integration of Medicine and Innovative Technology in Boston. He is an author, a speaker, a wonderful, wonderful human being. It is an honor to me to have one of the national board members of the Epilepsy Foundation, Dr. Steve Schachter, on our show today. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Joyce. That's that's too, too kind. And uh, let me just assure your listeners that you are one of the true leaders in the, in the world with regard to epilepsy and advocating on behalf of people with epilepsy. You know, it's really not about me or what I've done. It's about the 60 million people around the world who live with epilepsy today and the many more millions to come. It's about what we can do to help enable them to live a life up to their full potential. So I'm really delighted to be with you today. Well, we are honored to have you. You know, did you hear that? 60 million people in the world with epilepsy. And I can assure you that although we're dealing with so much right here in the United States, you have no idea what it's like to have epilepsy and be in a third-world country. You have no idea what people are going through. So we all do have to work together. And I know, Dr. Schachter, that I thought it would be uh, wonderful for our listeners to know you know, what caused you to get interested in this area of epilepsy? You know, what caused you to move down this path and become such an advocate? Because so you all know, and you can go, I want you all to go to the epilepsyfoundation.org website to see all of the books you can purchase that, that this doctor has written and graciously given the royalties back to the Epilepsy Foundation. Very few people would do that. So first question, why epilepsy? Second question, what made you become such a great advocate? Well, um, it's really very simple, um, Joyce. Uh, people with epilepsy are an inspiration to me. And, you know, of course, doctors that specialize in epilepsy first uh, become doctors through medical training and go through internship and 
specialty training in neurology, and it was during my years as a neurology um, resident here in Boston that I began to work with people with epilepsy and uh, immediately uh, was so amazed and impressed and inspired and humbled uh, by their courage, um, by their perseverance, uh, the manner in which uh, they met the challenges put before them uh, with epilepsy, with the, with the treatments. Um, and, you know, it became clear to me uh, back then, and we're talking now, you know, more than 20 years ago, that I simply had no choice but to, uh, to dedicate my career um, to people with epilepsy and in every way possible um, celebrate their accomplishments and abilities, educate the public about epilepsy, um, find, if, if at all possible, find new treatments and solutions to the many challenges put before people with epilepsy, and give them a voice, give people with epilepsy a voice uh, to describe what they go through each and every day. Um, and I uh, did that in, in some of the books we call the Brainstorms books, in which people with epilepsy and the family members from here in the U.S. as well as around the world uh, talk about living with epilepsy in their own words so as to uh, inspire other people. And once again, this series he wrote, which is fantastic, you can purchase any of these books by going to www.epilepsyfoundation.org and you're going to hear stories from people living with it, dealing with it. Really, I would recommend these books. They are phenomenal. Um, and, you know, once again, what can I say? Just hearing you speak reminds me of why I admire you so much. But um, I, I have to ask you again, I see why you went into it. What made you decide to do all this extra work? I, I didn't feel that. I, I mean, it, it just seemed like the natural thing to do. You just, I can't just sit back and uh, write prescriptions and and be done with it. You know, I mean, the, um, as we know, uh, people listening to this show, as you know, Joyce, um, having epilepsy, being a person with epilepsy, goes way, way, way beyond uh, medical treatment, typical medical treatment. And I felt that I was privileged to be in a position to. Um, you know, take a stab at helping in as many different ways as I possibly could, from um, medical research to advocacy to you know, joining the epilepsy movement, the Epilepsy Foundation, um, contributing to the to books, to medical literature. Um, I run a website, a, a different website uh, called epilepsy.com. However, you know, I possibly could. I'm just you know it. And I, I don't think I would have done this if I weren't so moved and motivated and inspired um, by people with epilepsy and their families. Well, we all love you for it. And, you know, I can speak for all people listening to this show right now that you know how much it means to all of us. Well, thank you. But, you know, it's because of all of you that I do what I do. And, it, again, it's really not about me. It's about people uh, listening to this show, people that, um, you that they know that you know out there who live with epilepsy, uh, who um, may not be lucky enough to have uh, complete control of their seizures or to be on medications or other therapy that you know they can get by with. Um, there's just so much work that we all need to do, 
medically as well as uh, reducing stigma, educating the public. Uh, we've got uh, we've made a tremendous amount of progress, um, and you know, thanks to you, Joyce, for raising awareness. Uh, thanks to the Epilepsy Foundation for their efforts. Uh, but uh, you know, we all have to work as a community, as a movement to continue the great progress, to get to a point where people with epilepsy are accepted for who they are and not for uh, what condition they have. Well, we have uh, questions here today from our listeners who email in questions to us for the show. Great. And one of the first questions is from a Linda in Kansas who says, I want to say this first, Dr. Shackner. I want to thank you because it gives me hope that there is a doctor that's more than a doctor that is a person standing out, really trying to be a guiding light for all of us. But can you give me any advice? What do you do when you have a 16-year-old son dealing with ongoing seizures and all of the harassment and embarrassment he deals with at school? In those cases, do you usually recommend also a therapist? Signed, Linda. Sure. Yeah, thank you, Linda, for your question. And uh, this brings up the... You know, one of the major problems that people, particularly those whose seizures are not fully controlled, um, uh, can face, and that is uh, people that they come into day in and day out who may not understand that epilepsy is a medical condition. Uh, they may not uh, really understand what it's like to have epilepsy and um, how what I learned, which is how amazing it is that somebody who you know, can have a seizure at any moment, can nonetheless, you know, get out of bed in the morning, get dressed, and, and go on with their life. I mean, that's why it particularly burns me up when, you know, ridicule and stigma and so on are uh, so unfairly directed at people with epilepsy. But, you know, it does it does happen, and it can take its toll emotionally on the person with seizures, and certainly um, it sounds like Linda's son is up against that, and to help him cope with those Feelings and and the sense of shame or rejection that might come from the kind of ridicule he feels. Certainly, it's a good a good idea to work with a therapist. Then there there probably can be too some efforts directed uh, at the, um, the in the school, whether it's working through um, teachers or the school nurse or through some other mechanism to uh, perhaps bring in somebody, say from the local epilepsy foundation affiliate to. Um, talk about epilepsy and to talk about the medical aspects and just to educate the students. You know, with the Epilepsy Foundation, as you know, Joyce, um, has run surveys uh, among uh, teens and, and uh, young adults uh, assessing the level of knowledge um, that this group has about epilepsy, and there's a lot of room for improvement in knowledge. Um, I think the last time such a survey was done, Close to half of the teens thought that epilepsy was contagious, like uh, the common cold or you know, some other infection. And I think a lot of the um, ridicule and a lot of the stigma is born out of lack of knowledge, you know, lack of understanding. And so, helping Linda's son cope with you know the the situation through counseling, but at the same time, addressing the learning needs of his schoolmates and people at school who, and his, particularly his friends, who can help advocate for him as well. I think uh, would be quite helpful, and I would certainly recommend parents, you know, go in and talk to their students' teachers, their, their children's teachers, and school nurses, and see what can be done, you know, to create a supportive and enriching environment for the children. 
Yes, and another thing, I just want to uh, mention that, you know, we're doing right now with the National Epilepsy Foundation is our chair, chairman, Tony Quello, author of the Americans with Disabilities Act and a person with epilepsy, is very big on youth initiative. And, and we have a Elizabeth Goldberg, who will be on our show later this month with, with Tony, talking about how uh, she's getting young people on our national council. And I'll tell you, when you meet other people that have epilepsy and you see them doing it, it really helps, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think that's yeah, that's yet another I think suggestion for Linda's son. That is to get out and, and meet some other kids with epilepsy, um, and that could be through a support group, um, a local epilepsy foundation affiliate, <clears throat> maybe um, through chat rooms. Uh, uh, for example, the epilepsy.com website has a chat room. I'm not sure about the epilepsy foundation website, but you know, to uh, I think that that can be very helpful. Um, as a way to share experiences, you know, discuss, well, you know, how do you put up with that or what do you do under this kind of circumstance and so on. I mean, it, it, it can feel very lonely, I know, to have epilepsy uh, if you don't know someone else with it. You can feel isolated. You can feel alone. And that, you know, can compound the sadness and anxiety and depression that uh, can sometimes come along with epilepsy. And I think between counseling reaching out to other people, going through the same thing, and, you know, making sure that the school environment is, is one that is supportive. I think that all those can help. All right, and with that, we're going to go to break for a minute. You are listening to Dr. Stephen Schachter, Harvard Medical School, National Board of the Epilepsy Foundation, and International Humanitarian for People with Epilepsy. This is America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. The world leader in Internet talk radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. 
Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. I'm glad you joined us. We are celebrating National Epilepsy Month and talking to really an internationally acclaimed doctor, Dr. Stephen Schachter from Harvard Medical School, who is also on the national board and just has written and published books that he's donated so much back to the Epilepsy Foundation. We're just so thrilled to have him. Um, A question we have here, Dr. Schachter, is from someone in Washington, D.C., saying, and I know you're going to love this question. Can you please tell our audience what direction we are headed in regarding epilepsy research? For example, what new studies are being done? What medical treatments or medications are under development? And how do you believe those things will change the way epilepsy is treated? From Jamie in Washington, D.C. Well, thank you, Jamie. That's a great question. And I think uh, the short answer is there's a tremendous amount of research and excitement uh, in the scientific world about uh, research relating to epilepsy. Uh, you know, research, uh, medical research um, usually starts in a test tube or in a laboratory animal or in some uh, scientific laboratory and eventually makes its way um, into clinical trials. Uh, and then if those um, clinical trials prove a treatment uh, is beneficial and safe, uh, then the FDA generally approves it for use, uh, for general use. So this is, you know, under the best of circumstances, a very lengthy, long process. Uh, But at each phase of this process, as of today, there are very um, exciting and promising treatments uh, being studied, whether it's in the laboratory, whether it's in uh, animals, animal models of epilepsy, uh, or whether it's in clinical trials. So these, and what's furthermore, what's exciting is that these treatments are not just um, medications anymore, <clears throat> but uh, there are uh, research projects involving um, electrical stimulation of the brain or magnetic <clears throat> stimulation of the brain, uh, the very earliest um, genetic uh, studies. Uh, it's just so much. It's it's uh, it's amazing. It's it's gone beyond um, uh, you know the, the traditional um, forms of pills uh, now to, for example, uh, injections or nasal sprays or a whole variety of different forms of medications and other non-medication treatments. So. There are probably something like uh, 10 to 15 new drugs, for example, under development at the present time at one stage or another. Uh, 
new forms of brain stimulation are being tested right now. Uh, new diets are being tested and conceived of. Uh, and this is just the beginning. We have uh, a lot of basic science research now pointing the way towards totally different and innovative treatments for the future. Uh, and not only are, are the treatments being tested today and, and thought of today meant to prevent seizures from occurring in somebody with epilepsy, but scientists are also now studying ways to prevent epilepsy from even developing in people uh, who might be at risk for developing epilepsy, such as people who've had a head injury, for example, or a stroke. Um, there are uh, ways to go online and look to find out uh, what are the clinical studies, the clinical trials being uh, done at the present time. Uh, you can do that through a site called CenterWatch, centerwatch.com. Uh, you can go on the, uh, INH, me, the NIH uh, website uh, and look at studies, and uh, epilepsy.com has a clinical trials page as well that you can search um, by location to see if there's one close to you. Washington, D.C. happens to be a very um, uh, well-developed um, research area for epilepsy, and you might be able to find a study ongoing in your own area. But I'm very excited. It really, I mean, it's amazing. When I first got into neurology, Joyce, we only had, you know, four or five different medications, and that was it. And uh, since then, we've added another 10 or 12, and uh, you know, which I could write a prescription for, and there's probably another 10 to 15 or more uh, that are under development right now. And I know that's true because when I had my accident in 1985, by the time I got to the hospital, and of course I was in a coma before I had brain surgery, but, you know, immediately I was intravenously on Dilantin. And for a long time, for several years, everyone in the world I would meet would be on Dilantin. Dilantin or phenobarbital. Now, when you tell your people you're on Dilantin, this is like the old medicine. Yeah, and what this means is that uh, there may be a medicine that totally controls someone's seizures without side effects uh, for more people today than ever before. Dilantin, you know, is still a very good medication. Uh, but none of our medications are excellent for everybody. But now that we have more alternatives and more uh, a larger range of options for medications for epilepsy, more people today than ever before have a chance for being seizure-free without medication side effects. And, you know, that's the good news for today. I think the great news for tomorrow is that uh, we'll have even, you know, better medications for those people uh, who today, you know, despite all of the medications available today don't achieve complete seizure freedom, or if they do, it might be at the expense of side effects. Um, there is hope on the horizon for those people. We, um, you know, I, I can clearly see that in all the meetings I go to, Joyce, um, here in the States and around the world. So many scientists and physicians have dedicated their careers to uh, finding effective therapies for people with epilepsy. So uh, I think there's good reason to be optimistic. Oh, that is wonderful. And what would, approximately how many people would you say are controlled today, through, through medication, I mean? Yeah. Uh, of those individuals whose seizures would not otherwise stop because they reach a certain age, 
Um, and, you know, there are forms of epilepsy that just seem to occur at certain ages. But putting those individuals aside, the other uh, people with epilepsy, approximately two out of three can expect to have their seizures uh, fully under control with today's medication. Um, that's, of course, good if you're one of those two out of three, but that leaves a significant number of people um, who continue to have seizures you know, despite today's medications, and that's, uh, you know, the a group of people for whom, you know, a lot of research is ongoing now. Even those, even some of the people who, you know, with medication um, have their seizures under control, they still might, you know, have to put up with side effects from the medication a day in and day out, and that's not good either. I mean, the goals of treating epilepsy today should be complete control of seizures with no side effects. So that, you know, hopefully the only reminder a person has that they have the condition is, is when they take their pills, not because of you know, double vision or sleepiness or ongoing seizures. So we have about <clears throat> one in three people with epilepsy who um, continue to have seizures uh, off and on despite you know, taking medication. Another one in three who may, in, in general, who, uh, who seizures are controlled, but they have to put up side effects. Uh, and one in three who do meet today's treatment goals of seizure freedom without side effects. And the side effects that people have, are they, um, how much of it would you say is what I hear a lot of people complain about, which is feeling like a zombie? Yeah, a lot of it is. I mean, you know, for medications to stop seizures, uh, those medicines have to get into the brain. And unfortunately, our medicines, when they get in the brain, they don't go only to the part of the brain where the seizures come from. They go throughout the whole brain. And so as a group, seizure medications cause more side effects of uh, that involve the brain than do other types of medications. So, yeah, sleepiness, um, lethargy, uh, trouble concentrating, uh, double vision, you know, being off balance, these are all very common. Now, it's not to say that, you know, someone definitely, you know, someone must put up with this or has to put up with it. Uh, if there are any listeners who you know, are having side effects like this uh, with their seizure medication, they should discuss that with their physician to see whether there's another medicine that can be tried in its place that might, you know, not have those same side effects. So, uh, that's the other advantage of the wide range of choices we have today is if somebody you know, is having side effects, there might be an op- another option for them uh, that they could tolerate without side effects. So you don't have to put up with side effects necessarily. And, uh, but on the other hand, the doctor can't you know, make a switch unless you bring it up. Yeah, and I hope, listen, listen to what he's saying. Speak up. Speak up. You've got to be your own health advocate. You tell your neurologist or your epileptologist if you're having those issues. You don't have to live with that. You tell them. You talk to them and you try to get advice. Of course, we can't clone you, Dr. Steve Schachter, but there still are other good doctors out there that will help you in addition to him. You're listening to Dr. Steven Schachter, the author of so many wonderful books about epilepsy and professor at Harvard Medical School, great humanitarian. This is America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back right after the break. 
From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveras Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveras, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveras Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveras Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveras Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveras Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at one 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We have as our guest today Dr. Stephen Schachter, right up there in Boston at Harvard Medical School, and really just so accomplished. I want to mention that, you know, if you go to either www.epilepsyfoundation.org or to epilepsy.com, you can read so much about him and what he's done. And, and now that I mentioned epilepsyfoundation.org, you know, this Thanksgiving, think about how much you have to be thankful for and take time to send a check to the Epilepsy Foundation because you hear all these things that he's talking about. You know, we can't help people unless we have you helping us. Only takes a few minutes, www.epilepsyfoundation.org. Um, I have a question for you here, Dr. Stephen, from Ted in Houston, Texas. And the question is, Dr. Schachter, I feel almost embarrassed asking you this question, especially when I read you were from Harvard Medical School, but I just have to know. My parents keep telling me that I need a seizure dog. Is there any validity to this? Is that really something that works? I know it's been on TV and I think my mom's must have watched it on some TV show that made her believe it's for real. Maybe it is. Don't know. I hope this doesn't offend you by me asking you this question, signed Ted. Thanks, Ted. No, it doesn't offend me at all. Um, and to fill in your listener's choice, um, seizure dogs 
uh, are specially trained dogs that um, uh, the idea is that they in some way sense that their companion, a person with epilepsy, is about to have a seizure. And um, they're trained that under that circumstance they might, you know, send some sort of signal to to the person with epilepsy, you know, to help them get into a safe place in the, in the event that they do go on to have a seizure. Uh, and to stay with the individual through the seizure. Uh, and, you know, in, in so doing, um, they're a big help uh, to people with epilepsy. There are uh, several places uh, around the country that do train uh, seizure dogs. Um, it's a difficult, uh, you know, for, uh, scientifically it's difficult to prove that uh, seizure dogs uh, you know, have this ability. But, I mean, common sense would tell you that um, dogs, you know, who are really sensitive to human behavior, you know, can, I, I mean, I don't see why, they couldn't, you know, uh, observe a change in a person's behavior that predictably precedes a seizure, um, and perhaps it's, you know, a sense something relating to their sense of smell uh, as well. We don't know. We don't, you know, know exactly uh, how this works. But um, uh, nonetheless, I, I do believe that uh, it, it is possible. I also believe that it's. It's good for a, a trained dog to be there, even if they can't predict when a seizure is going to happen, to be with the person through the seizure and, uh, you know, help uh, in any way possible in terms of uh, notifying, you know, others or in some way communicating uh, and being a source of comfort for for the person with epilepsy. There are, you know, more places that supply seizure dogs than places that train seizure dogs, and so. You know, you, I would just advise your listeners to look into this um, in some detail to go on the websites uh, we've talked about today and learn more about it and, you know, and explore. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, this is another area of research, Joyce, that is, is being attempted is to figure out, you know, which dogs are able to do this, what training it takes, what is the signal that they're perceiving, um, you know, because if, if the dogs are perceiving a signal before the seizure begins, well, maybe there's another way to pick up that signal, mm-hmm. you know, um, through technology mm-hmm. in some way. And then, uh, you know, alert the alert people that a seizure is impending and to take some sort of action, whether that's sitting down, getting into a safe place, or taking some sort of medication that can go to work very, very quickly. So it's an, it's an important area and um, one worth uh, your listeners exploring. Well, wouldn't that be wonderful if there was technology that could do that? Wow, that would be something. Well, you know, this is uh, an area of research I'm personally involved with at the moment. Uh, uh, here in Boston, I'm working with <clears throat> electrical engineers at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, to be able to detect um, a seizure within a few seconds of it beginning, and that's usually before the person is even aware that a seizure is is, is occurring, and to to link that seizure detection with some sort of intervention or treatment that could potentially stop the seizure from ever occurring. So, you know, and there are other similar efforts going on around the world. So, this is an area, you know, of research. I mentioned that is 
uh, evolving, and it's very high tech. Uh, it's it's a reflection of the recent trend for engineers and uh, 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 you know, whether electrical engineers or computer scientists to partner with physicians in uh, creating uh, solutions to uh, unmet medical needs. Well, I'll tell you what, we're getting so many questions that I can tell you I'm going to have to just force you to be back on the show again because I can see we will never get through everything I was going to ask you, but I'm not surprised because you are just a fountain of information. Well, um, I don't know how many you're getting, Joyce, but I would encourage people to, you know, can the, I mean, you can certainly send those emails to me. Mm-hmm. Also, people can... Uh, Go on to epilepsy.com and, and send your question to the webmaster. I think at the bottom of the home page you'll see um, the webmaster's address, and she'll forward the questions on to me, and I'll do my best to answer them as soon well, as no, I can. We're getting emails as I'm interviewing you asking, are you going to be on again? <laughs> so I can tell you must be real. You know, there are, you know what it is? There's so many of us, uh, you know, you've got to change this. There's so many people with epilepsy. When I say you, I'm talking to the listeners who have epilepsy and are living in the shadows, and you've got to stop doing that. You know, everyone wants answers, but you have to be not ashamed that you have this. It's just part of who you are, and I can tell you I'm not ashamed that I have epilepsy, and it is part of who I am. I think, I think since we're getting that reaction, I'm going to skip ahead uh, why don't you, for a moment, go over with our listeners the different types of uh, epilepsy for all of our listeners? I'd be happy to. Um, well, first of all, epilepsy is a word that refers to a brain disorder um, that makes the individual susceptible to having recurrent seizures. So a seizure disorder is another way of saying epilepsy. Now, um, people with epilepsy are susceptible to having recurrent seizures. Many people might just have a single seizure in their life um, because uh, anyone, if they're deprived of oxygen um, or if their glucose sugar levels go too low, anyone would have a seizure. But in that situation, the brain is is responding to an abnormal circumstance of low oxygen or low sugar. By epilepsy, we're referring to a condition where the problem originates in the brain. It's not that the brain is responding to a situation in the body. And <clears throat> seizures come, seizure, epileptic seizures start in the brain, and uh, from person to person, they might start in different areas. You know, everyone can visualize what the brain looks like and you know that different parts of the brain are responsible for different of our, different abilities and capabilities that we have, whether it's seeing or talking, tasting or smelling or moving. Uh, and so a seizure that comes from different parts of the brain would be expected to cause different kinds of symptoms. A seizure, for example, that begins in the part of the brain that controls vision might cause changes in your vision. If it starts in the part of the brain that controls memory, well, you might lose your memory and, and black out or have a, a become unconscious during your seizure and so forth. So uh, to make it easy to talk about different types of seizures, we, we uh, 
talk about two major different types of seizures, partial seizures and generalized seizures. Partial seizures come from part of the brain. They can come from any part of the brain. Uh, if they don't interfere with consciousness, we call those simple partial seizures. If they come from a part of the brain that does affect awareness and consciousness, we call it a complex partial seizure. This is actually the most common type of seizure in adults, a complex partial seizure. These are people who look awake, but they're really unaware during their seizure. They might be also seen to have repetitive movements of their hands or their lips or mouth, and it can go on for a minute or two, during which the person's totally unaware of what's going on around them. Partial seizures come from part of the brain, whereas generalized seizures seem to originate when they occur um, uh, throughout the brain on both sides. And the types of generalized seizures include uh, what we call a tonic-clonic seizure. That's been called in the past a grand mal seizure or a convulsion. When most people think about epilepsy, they might think of this particular type of seizure. Um, another type of generalized seizure is the absence seizure, which is usually described as a staring spell and is very brief, typically less than 10 seconds. Uh, so you can see epilepsy and seizure disorders really refers to a range of different types of experiences, but what they all have in common is that a short circuit, an electrical short circuit, seems to begin part, uh, in the brain somewhere and affect the normal function of the brain, which is what produces the symptoms and the after effects of the seizure. Well, I am one of those that has a generalized seizure, and I have a tonic seizure. I have falls to the ground, I'm unconscious, I just do not have a convulsion. And so, you know, when you're listening to the show, I just want to tell you, it's worse for the person standing there than it is for me. Because by the time I, you know, come to, which is usually only a couple minutes later, not sometimes not even that long, you know, I'm a little tired, a little disoriented. It takes me a while to, get, you know, feel better. But everyone else is totally hysterical. And that happens to so many people. They have the seizure. They come out of the seizure. They're fine. But, you know, everyone else is uh, panic-stricken around them. And although I understand it's difficult to see during the first time, remember that makes the person feel more uneasy. Well, yeah. And, I mean, it is only natural to be frightened the first time you see somebody have a seizure, but uh, that uh, is readily replaced, you know, with appropriate first aid and first response with just a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of education. So, you know, um, a person with epilepsy um, can help others that they're with a lot, whether it's at work or at school or at home you know, feel empowered to help them during a seizure simply by providing them, you know, the appropriate first aid and first response information, which you can get from the websites we've talked about today. All right, and we will talk about that more. We're going to go to break before we come back to close the show with, to me, a real humanitarian for all people with epilepsy, Dr. Stephen Schachter. You're listening to America's Voice voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back.
conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength, and the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Albert Einstein once said, nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. This is National Epilepsy Month, and we've been talking to Dr. Stephen Schachter from Harvard Medical School National. Board of the Epilepsy Foundation, and really, he's on so many boards and involved with so much. Um, he is a very well-known epileptologist, and we were just honored to have him with us today. I, I have to skip ahead here and, and ask you a couple questions uh, before we end the show. And one is that multimillion-dollar question, which everyone asks me, and that is, Joyce, what causes epilepsy? Yeah, that's it's it's not a single it's not a single answer. It's uh you know we 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 before the break we were talking about the different types of seizures and I said seizures can come from different parts of the brain and uh that helps I mean that determines the symptoms a person would have with their seizure. So, you know, it makes sense to say then that really any medical condition that affects the brain can potentially cause epilepsy, can potentially cause seizures. So, uh, for example, head injury or stroke or kind of infection like meningitis or encephalitis 
uh, or an abnormal, you know, some problem with the way the brain cells function um, because of a genetic reason or because of the way the brain uh, formed uh, when the um, person was um, a fetus. Any of these many, many conditions that can affect the brain can potentially cause epilepsy. And even in spite of that, in probably half the people with epilepsy, doctors like myself are unable through current testing to pinpoint why that person might have epilepsy, which, you know, is frustrating, uh, certainly for the person with epilepsy as well as the doctors. Because, you know, in general, if you can isolate a cause, you might be able to reverse that. But, uh, you know, there's a long, long list of conditions that can cause epilepsy. And epilepsy, too, can develop at any age. You know, but we know that the majority of people who develop epilepsy are either very young or in their senior years. I'm glad you brought that up. I do want to talk about that for a minute because I really feel... Um, that you know you brought so much to the epilepsy foundation, but I know we've you've talked a lot about this, and that is the elderly in epilepsy. I, I don't think people realize that you know they hear, hear about epilepsy and they can't imagine that, that they could be a person with epilepsy later in their life. Um, but you've made it clear to me that this is one of the group that does get epilepsy frequently. Even, I'm sure, it's misdiagnosed when people are in nursing homes. Yeah, but could you talk about that for a minute? Sure, yeah. It's, uh, you know, our population is, is getting older. Uh, you and me, you know, excluded, of course. <laughs> and uh, most developed countries around the world, the um, uh, population overall is getting older. And so the proportion of the population that is in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond is increasing. And with uh, aging uh, comes the possibility of conditions uh, that can cause epilepsy, like stroke, for example, or head injury, tumors of the brain. And same thing with uh, conditions like Alzheimer's disease, which can cause epilepsy. So as a consequence of the massive increase in numbers of seniors in our country, together with the uh, kinds of conditions that come with age that can cause epilepsy, we're seeing a virtual explosion in the number of people in their senior years who are developing epilepsy. And some may not be diagnosed because it's mistaken for other conditions that can cause sudden changes in behavior. Uh, and at the Epilepsy Foundation, we're making a major effort to educate the public, to educate physicians, uh, to uh, do research, you know, to be sure that we know as much as possible about the way seizures can affect people in later years, the best medical treatments uh, available, uh, and how to support people uh, who um, you know may have been healthy their whole life now only to develop epilepsy in later years. So yes, this is a you know, it's quite a change from the past when epilepsy was generally viewed as a condition that began in childhood. Uh, now we're actually seeing that the number of people diagnosed with epilepsy in later years is eclipsing the number of people, you know, who develop it in childhood. Unbelievable. And just as you mentioned before, like with an epilepsy seizure, how for, you know, a few seconds it can seem as if you're staring off 
Yeah. And, and people can be thinking someone in a nursing home or wherever has dementia or, or you know, whatever they would be thinking it is, and it could be epilepsy. That's right. We have a saying at the foundation, you know, was it a senior moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it may not have been. It mm-hmm. might have been a seizure, and, you know, we can treat that uh, with medications. And so it's really important to, you know, encourage uh, older people who might be having memory lapses or other changes in behavior that maybe it was attributed to vascular, you know, blood vessel problems or dementia or Alzheimer's disease to encourage them to see a physician or go to see a neurologist and to determine whether there's any possibility that they could be intermittent seizures, which, if they are, could be potentially treated and, and dealt with in that way. You know, everyone who has, every guest for the past three and a half years on this show, we ask, I ask every one of them these last two questions. First being, uh, now you, Dr. Schachter, you are so accomplished, so successful, so I don't even know how, you know, this is going to be hard to answer, but my question I ask everyone, in your life, as you think of all these great accomplishments you have achieved, what would you say you are the proudest of? You know, it, <laughs> that's, it's a hard thing. Uh, probably my two kids, <laughs> to be, to be uh, really honest. And I know they're going to listen to this, so I had to say that. But, no, it's, you know, it's the little things, Joyce. It's, um, uh, you know, it's, it's seeing somebody come back to my office who doesn't have to hang on to somebody's arm anymore. You know, where they come and they show me the driver's license, you know, or their college degree, or their boyfriend or their girlfriend. I mean, it's, I take such, you know, joy and, and pleasure in helping, you know, people meet the challenges that epilepsy has put before them to, you know, get, so that they are, they're enabled to live up to their full potential. One by one. I mean, it's, you know, I'm a people person, and um, that just makes my day. It really does. Um, and, you know, there are many more people. There are many more doctors like me out there. And, you know, your listeners um, need to feel that they're, an, you know, a, a full partner in the therapeutic process that um, it's not just the... Uh, the physician telling them what to do, you know, but it, but they're a part of the decision making um, because you, know, it's it's in large part up to a person with epilepsy to, um, you know, to advocate for their own health and to make adjustments as might be needed in their daily lifestyle um, to accept, you know. What must be accepted, but to you know persevere and go beyond uh, where they can. And if I can help anyone do that, I really take a lot of pride in that. Uh, just to see you know the uh, smiles on the faces of people that you know, maybe their seizures are not 100% gone, you know, but uh, they're they're going on with their lives, and they're uh, you know that's what it's all about. Well, what message do you want to leave with our listeners today? Well, as you said earlier, Joyce, 
speak up. You know, be sure your doctor knows what uh, you're going through. Um, you know, talk to your family, talk to your friends, uh, get information, go online. You know, educate yourself as much as possible. Uh, don't give up. You know, keep at it, and good things will happen. Well, may I say I've known this man for several years, and now all my listeners will know why I think he is so wonderful. And this Thanksgiving, I know I personally will be giving thanks that we have Dr. Stephen Schachter in this world helping people with epilepsy and making a difference. And I can tell you right now, Steve, you had an impact on me because you are just such a wonderful leader, and it is an honor that you spend time with us on the show today. Thank you, Joyce. And, you know, as your listeners can tell and know from listening to you before, uh, you are one special person, too. Well, here's how we end every show with a famous quote by a great leader. And today it is from Dr. Steve Schachter, right from the show today, when he said, As a doctor, I can't just sit back and write prescriptions. I am privileged to do something to help others, and I did. And that is what makes him the giant he is. I will look forward to talking to all of you next week. Steve, keep on doing what you're doing, and thanks again. You too, Joyce. Bye-bye. All right. See you next week. This is VoiceAmerica.com, where disability does matter. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.